the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Good evening, everyone. It's so uh, lovely to see you all uh, this evening. I'm Richard. I'm one of the associate rectors here, and it's uh, great uh, to be here this evening. A bit later on, you're going to have the opportunity uh, for prayer ministry. Can I just say, if you've got a bad back, it's well worth going, because I had a bad back this morning. It's st still a bit stiff, but I was in pain this morning, and I've been released from pain, so the prayer is strong today. So uh, I do recommend... Uh, prayer ministry a bit later on. It's always great to be here. Let's just bow our heads and let's uh, pray. Lord, you're a good God and we worship you and we love you and thank you for passages like we've got uh, tonight. At first glance it feels as though we're just passing through Antioch but it's a really strategic and important passage and I pray that it would have the ability tonight to speak into our hearts and lives, not just as individuals but also as a community. We really do want to hear from you tonight. So Lord, I just pray for us that the Holy Spirit would just uh, inspire us gently, those of us who are struggling especially, Lord, would we find that the ministry of Barnabas continues and that we would be encouraged this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to keep your Bibles open, I will be looking at it and uh, going through parts of it. It'll just help keep the story in your head about what I am talking about. Now, a few years ago, when I first uh, started this church, um, I did the network course. Uh, if you don't know what the course is, don't worry, it's quite simply, simple. It's simply a course where, uh, which is designed to help you discover uh, your spiritual gifts. It's a course I used to run, but now thank in great sort of thankfulness I've handed over uh, to James and he does it 10 times better than me so next year when you get the chance to go on the network course remember it because James uh, I think he's been designed to help people find their spiritual gifts anyway and uh, I did this there was a questionnaire about uh, your gifts 
And I did it, and I worked out uh, what my spiritual gift was. I'm going to put my glasses on. I thought I've done this in very old person setting, very super big writing, but my, my eyesight's still not as good as it should be. Anyway, so uh, I found out that my spiritual gift uh, was encouragement, and this meant the course told me that I was positive, uh, motivating, challenging, affirming, reassuring, supportive, and trustworthy. I was the kind of person, it said, who was able to come alongside, to, this is its words, to present truth so as to comfort, strengthen, or urge into action those who are discouraged or wavering. I had confidence in God, the book told me, and I was quite pleased with that. I thought that sounded quite good. But then I read through all the other 24 gifts, and they had just as positive and wonderful things to say about them too. So whatever your spiritual gift is, it's amazing. So when I was told I was going to speak about Barnabas uh, tonight, my ears pricked up because... Quite simply, Barnabas is known uh, for his gift of encouragement. He is Mr. Encouragement of the Bible. He is a relevant person, therefore, for me to look at because I have the gift of encouragement. I thought, great, I'm going to look at uh, Barnabas this evening and I'm going to get some hints in how to use my spiritual gift of encouragement. And Acts chapter 11, the bit we're in tonight, gives us a big, big hit of Barnabas. And I must say that as I've looked at him this week, I realise that uh, this isn't just a sermon for me tonight, may, but maybe I'll go as far to say the way Barnabas acted and behaved in this chapter might just be the kind of behaviour our church, not just our church here at P's and G's, but our church as a whole in the UK uh, needs to discover and live out it has a striking contemporary message. It speaks into the chaos of the world that we find ourselves right now. It talks of the qualities that Christians need to hold on to if they're going to have any relevance at all in our culture. And it tells us that if we're to make an impact for Jesus as a church, we need to let each other use our personal gifts and set each other free. So let's have a deeper look at what's going on here. In verse 19, we see the chaos in which the church was operating. And we can see also at the end of, of the chapter, the chaos into which it's going to continue uh, to operate. It was a scattered church. It was persecuted. There was agony, there was war, and refugees were the order of the day. It was difficult for the church to be organised, uh, and there was a load of opposition going on against it. People were literally dying for their faith. Chaotic, confusing, and challenging times are the summary. There was no way that the church could be controlled. And yet, we see that despite all this, the church was growing and it had spread out as far. So it had gone from um, Jerusalem and it was moving out from Samaria. And now it was in Antioch, which is modern-day Turkey. So the sort of the, the drop of the stone into the water, the, the rings were reaching out and out. And it had reached as far as Turkey and it had reached Antioch. And just so its border is just near Syria. So just as chaotic times were back then, it's chaotic times now. That's the region into which this account is being told. It was tense, it was difficult, and especially if you're a believer. You wouldn't say anything different today. And the church hadn't just spread out in this random way. 
to Antioch. It was also growing in Antioch too. Lots of people were becoming Christians around them. People were hearing about Jesus and their lives were transformed. As it says in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was upon them and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. I completely love this. In what could have been seen as disorder and as a church having no plan, the church was growing. It was the opposite of what you're told to do to develop and grow the church. I've been to loads of uh, conferences about organising and developing the church so it could grow. This is the opposite of that. But lest we forget, and the important thing is this, God does what God does. And God moves as God moves. And it still happens today. We've heard stories in our sermons over the last uh, few months, really, of people in the Middle East who've never heard about Jesus. They're having dreams, dreams about Jesus and following him. He's, he's literally meeting people in their dreams. People uh, who are not Christians are so sick and desperate and they're praying for healing and they've discovered you can pray in Jesus' name. So they pray for healings in Jesus' name and they discovered they are healed and it causes them to ask questions and they travel literally hundreds of miles to find a church to discover what's happened to them and to become a Christian. So despite rumours that the church is being destroyed in the Middle East, it is still growing and there is vibrancy and life in it there. God does what God does. The Spirit moves where the Spirit moves and that often flies in the face of reading. In our reading, a significant church had grown up from nothing despite having all the ingredients for failure. And it was thriving. It was a good news story for a church in very hard times. In the persecution, the feeling of anti-Christianity, the state-sponsored brutality, God was still moving and still changing, transforming and bringing hope and bringing people together. It was so powerful that when the bigwigs in Jerusalem heard about it in verse 22, they decided they needed to check out this revival and this work of God. So quite simply, they chose Barnabas to go up to Antioch and uh, that was a completely inspired choice. As we read in the passage, we see that he had exceptional qualities which enabled him to turn the story of the Antioch church not just into revival joy story, but a church which was well-grounded, able to make a deep impact into its community and a church which continued to thrive. And to do this, he used his gifts of encouragement which were fully on display and I want to talk about five of these gifts which were on display, these five things which made up his encouragement. Because firstly, uh, Barnabas had courage. He was prepared to go into a war zone. The persecution was rife, but courage enabled him to enter into that and work in it, and more than that, to survive it. Barnabas had every right to tell the leaders who chose him in Jerusalem. He could have told them where they could get off. They were sending him somewhere dangerous and scary, yet he chose to not let fear define him. He chose the courageous path. I love what Nelson Mandela said about this when he said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. 
fact, in my life, I've seen this. She's here tonight, and I didn't know she was going to be, but I've seen this in uh, Jenny, my wife, when she felt called to work alongside persecuted Christians in uh, Colombia. Uh, I think it was about, was it about 10 years ago? It was, long, it was when I was a child still. Anyway, it's a long way ago. And uh, about 10 years ago, and uh, I think uh, she was scared to fly out to Colombia and leave her very young children and her handsomely rugged husband at home. And... Uh, she chose to go into a very confused place and into a, a troubled environment. But I saw her literally put on courage instead of that fear. And in doing this, I saw her life changed. All of a sudden, she had a depth of understanding that you only get if you're courageous and you face your fears. And when you get this depth of courage and this depth of understanding, you literally start to change the world. Now, there's so much to be fearful about. The world is a scary place. And for us in the church, it's often easier to retreat into those nice pleasant places which we can do as a church nice pleasant worship good music and all that type of stuff nice songs nice sermons nice prayers not causing any offense and into a nice comfortable form of christianity um, we practice our faith we can practice almost invisibly you know nobody can really see we're worshiping we're covered by all these walls i know the doors are open but is it no i think the back door's closed we're we're closed in and nobody can see us we're invisible and we are worshiping uh, where we might say we love jesus but it's very hard to see it in action as we worry about things, I don't know what you worry about, the mortgage, school fees, next holidays, next exam, next gadget, next job offer. In fact, uh, if someone saw deeply into our lives, would there be any clue that Jesus had uh, saved us? I'm saying this very much to myself as well. We're like scared little mice hiding in our holes, thinking about all the wrong things sometimes. And this is where courage is so important. Courage enables us to engage with the brokenness, with the harshness, with the atheism which is uh, all about us, with the sort of even the not bothered part of society, the ISIS scary bit, the Donald Trumps, the Syrias, the President Putins, the cruise missiles, the injustice, the poverty, the hunger, the war, the arrogance and the horrors of the world. And it helps us to see uh, that in places where we thought God had given up, he's there, he's ahead of us, having already done most of the work. I love this from May Angelou. Courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. Courage will let us be the church God needs us to be. And let me tell you, the most courageous people will be the people you least expect to be courageous. The ones who will face up to the injustice uh, will not be the ones you expect. I love this from Tolkien. Courage is found in unlikely places. If you're going to pray about one thing, I think, from the sermon, if you're the kind of person who wants to change the world, who feels called to change the world, which we all should be if we follow Jesus Christ, Pray this, pray for courage, not sort of human courage, pray for godly courage, courage which speaks out when things are wrong, courage which engages with the stranger, courage which is not scared to point people to God, courage which will stand up when there's injustice, courage to live for Jesus. Now, as most of you know, I help uh, with soul food 
every week. It's a brilliant community meal we run here at P's and G's. And many people are homeless who, or who are addicted to drugs or alcohol or have mental illnesses or just feel excluded a bit from society have found themselves as part of Soul Food. And it's the best bit of my week hanging out with all uh, the soul, my Soul Food friends. At, at the moment, can we just pray very much for Soul Food? Firstly, because the cooker is bust yet again in church. We have a problematic cooker. I think it's sort of, it must be Italian design because it cooks brilliant food, but it goes wrong often. It's emotional. Can you just pray? Uh, pray for the gas flow. The ga- apparently it's a problem with the gas flow. I don't, but it's a good prayer, isn't it? Lord, I pray for gas flow. I, I find that amusing anyway. So pray for, pray for our cookers. And also, some of the guys are coming in immensely hungry, ravenous, you know, and just, just pray for, for, for them. The, the hunger, the hunger in our very rich city is rife. Now, some people have made choices uh, which we might not, not choose to, to take, but it's causing hunger and hunger. Let's pray that we can really get behind that and somehow change uh, what's going on. Anyway, the team, which you are all welcome to join, is completely fantastic for soul food. And the bit I love about them uh, is particularly our cleaning team. We've, we changed the name, actually, to Washing Up Team uh, because we think that's a bit softer, but it really is the cleaning team. And the, the people I really love about the cleaning team are those who, the ones who stand outside the toilets week by week and uh, which can end up in a bit of state and, and clean them out. And they do this with a smile on their face, except in very extreme circumstances. But generally, they do it with a smile on their face, and they do it really well. And in my head, I just think of these people as the extra mile people, because they're completely brilliant. They do the most outstanding job, even though it's the job nobody else wants to do. We all say, oh yes, I don't mind cleaning toilets, but I never volunteer for it. So, so it's the job nobody else wants to do. For me, these people are like Barnabas. They are Barnabas. It is because he was doing the job no one else wanted to do. And this is the second thing about Barnabas. He went the extra mile. He was not just going to a difficult place, but he was going to a very culturally different place to what he was used to. He was now going to hang out with Gentiles rather than Jews. He was going to be completely different. Not was he just risking his life being with them. He was also out of his comfort zones. He was going to have to learn a new language and a new culture very quickly. He could have gone in very snooty and arrogantly. He could have gone in knowing that he was the best and the best way of running the church uh, was his way. He could have gone in thinking he was a better Christian than them as he'd been taught by the best of the best. But that was not his style because he had the ability not only to go into the place no one else wanted to be, but he had the ability to stop to listen, to work out, to be patient, to be generous, to be kind, to learn, to work out, to observe. And because of this, his eyes were open to a most profound work of God. In verse 23, it says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. This could all be a definition of what the spiritual gift of encouragement is. His encouragement stopped him 
from jumping in and taking control and saying, I know best. His encouragement helped him to see the great work that God was already doing. His encouragement enabled him to join in with the Holy Spirit and that work. His encouragement enabled him to build on all the impressive work already going on and give it a more dynamic edge. His encouragement stopped him from making it all about him and his encouragement recognised and released the gifts already in that church. His encouragement led to him wisely helping them move forward in their faith. And his encouragement led to the church becoming better, not worse. It made them stronger, more focused, more reliant on God. And that, the only reason this could happen was because Barnabas had a lively and dynamic relationship with God. And this is the third thing about him. He had that relationship with God. Verse 24 says he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man and probably he was naturally positive. But his relationship with God took this and made it dynamic and fantastic. His gift enabled him more and more, uh, sorry, his gift enabled him to help more and more people come to know Jesus. I just want to ask you a personal question tonight. How's your relationship with God going? How's your relationship with God going? I've just taken on a spiritual director and I find it really helpful. most so because it encourages me to look for grace in my life. To have somebody saying, where have you seen God in your life in the last month? is a challenging and a joyful question to be asked. However, I met with him a few weeks ago and he asked me how my prayer life was going. That was the wrong question uh, to ask me. And uh, I, I answered him, well actually it's going pretty rubbish at the moment. It's not that it's not happening, because it is. But it's not dynamic, not that that really matters, because we all know that prayer lives can ebb and flow, and it doesn't need to be uh, completely uh, dynamic all the time. But my prayer life isn't organised, and it feels a bit like wading through mud at the moment. I realised that the relationship with God is not perhaps in the place I'd hope it to be. It feels hard, and I think for some reason I had lost sight of the big picture, perhaps made it more about me than God. And this is something I'm working through at the moment, making it less about me and more about God. And thankfully, having a spiritual director means that I have somebody who I'm accountable to as I work this out. And he'll ask me next month, how is my prayer life going? And I hope that I can start to give him a better answer than I am at the moment. I am actually hopeful and excited about this. However, the reason Barnabas was on top form in Antioch is that he had this lively relationship with God as an everyday and a complete reality in his life. And because of this, he didn't dash in, he didn't go and take control, but he could stand back and be inspired and be helped by God as he encouraged the church. I ask again, how's your relationship with God? Because I have an inkling, I'm not the only one who's struggling a little bit. Barnabas is an encouragement to us to think more deeply about that. Now I know that God doesn't grant success or failure because of the depth of our relationship with him. As this passage shows, God is God and God does what God wants to do. However, I do believe many of us are missing out because we're not engaging as deeply or as vibrantly as we could with this wonderful loving and kind God. 
He filled Barnabas with his Holy Spirit to keep him going with him. Let's not forget the power of God at work in us through his Holy Spirit. It's a gift for us all to empower our relationship with God and for us to be confident that we're loved uh, and capable of a fantastic relationship with God who is just alive and well and he's just the same God as he was back in Barnabas' time. And all this meant that Barnabas had a cutting edge, which is the fourth thing about him. There was something very real and gritty about him. He was no fake American TV evangelist or some control freak vicar who we all know, or some I know, some sort of I know it all, I know all the answers kind of doctrine king. Um, he was the real deal. And people love the real deal. The real deal is what changes the world. When we find the real deal, we find the truth. His character and his courage, encouragement led people to believe believers. And okay, I know we're not all like Barnabas. We don't all have this gift of encouragement which he had because it is a spiritual gift. We can all be encouragers, but we might not all have that gift. We don't all have uh, his personality. We're all unique with unique gifts and unique ways of expressing what God has done for us. We're all the type of people who the world needs to hear from to discover who Jesus is. But all of us can have a cutting edge. In other words, we can all be the real deal. We can be honest, we can be kind, we can be generous. And if these qualities were at the heart of our life together in the church, like the Church of Antioch, well, I'm sure more and more people would be attracted to Jesus and choose to follow him. Because sometimes we forget the basic stuff. I was reading about some hospital workers who also worked in the church. They had two jobs, hospital and church. And they said their work in hospital was completely brilliant because you never, it, was about, it was rare that 15 minutes went by without somebody saying thank you to you or encouraging you and telling you that you were doing a good job. Sadly, they said, their work at church was completely different and one of them said they couldn't remember the last time they'd been thanked by people at their church for what they were doing. Look if the church is cold and callous and ungrateful, if it has a culture like that, it's never ever going to thrive or work. So let's get the basics right. Let's be people who say thank you. Let's be people who are grateful. Let's be people who encourage each other. Let's be real people and not people who go around judging each other or being mean. In fact, if you feel mean about something, it won't be God inspiring those feelings at all. If all of us together change the culture to one of kindness and generosity and grace, that's when people come to Jesus. That's when we have a cutting edge. Our behaviour, our countenance and our manner matter. They are something we can all control as well. So let's do that kind of controlling behaviour, the kind way of controlling behaviour, not the more negative kind. And this brings me on to the final point, because for Barnabas, it wasn't all about him. It was all about Jesus. It was about Jesus and his kingdom, and it was about people knowing Jesus. And for Barnabas, it was about creating a culture so that people could know Jesus. And in this passage, we see Barnabas realising he didn't have all the tools 
or all the abilities to do everything that was necessary in Antioch. So he called his good friend Saul, who became Paul, to come in and help build up the work, which must have been a really impressive time because the church continued to grow and so many of the people uh, decided to follow Jesus in Antioch and they must have made quite a massive group that they earned a nickname which has stuck for 2,000 years and the nickname is Christians. You see it in verse 26. We carry that nickname on. But this calling uh, is more important because what we see here, when Barnabas called Paul, we could see he was committed to team ministry, in other words, not doing it on his own. That was always a model of Jesus from the time he sent out his disciples in pairs. We need each other in Christianity, so ministry is best expressed with each other. And also here, we see that Barnabas wasn't an ego-driven ministry monster. For him, if someone was better, better gifted to the job, let them get on with it. And we see in Acts a movement from Barnabas taking the lead to by chapter 14, Paul takes the lead for ministry. Barnabas was happy to release it. And a key gift in any ministry is not holding on to it tightly, but being willing to release it. It's something I learned when I came up to Edinburgh. In my last job, I was rector of Aldridge. And I felt that God was saying, you need to release it. And I love that job, I must say. But I was called to release it. And it's really hard sometimes to release it. But sometimes we have to release things we like and enjoy to take up new things. And without releasing, there would be no soul food. There would be no thinking about how can we plant a church in Edinburgh, which is quite exciting stuff to be involved in. Always be willing to lay things down. No matter if it bashes up your ego or makes you feel small or stupid, Barnabas shows us the power of releasing things and living a life completely for Jesus because that enables things to grow and develop for the kingdom. So there we have Barnabas, the most inspirational, integrity-filled and incredible disciple. And his encouragement-filled life this evening is encouraging us to think about having courage. I'm on, if I'm honest with you, we're all a little bit weak here. We all need to go for that courage. We need to work out what that means in this. Let's ask for it as we move on through this service. It's all about going the extra mile, Barnabas, and all of us can work out what that means in our life. What will it mean for you to go the extra mile? Who can you go the extra mile through this week? What can you do in your office, in your workplace, wherever you find yourself, to go the extra mile? What does that mean? Barnabas is about deepening, deepening our relationship with God, having God right at the centre. How's your relationship with God going? How's our relationship as a church going? Barnabas is about being real and having a cutting edge. Are we real or do we hide behind our masks? Let's think about that. And finally, Barnabas just tells us it quite simply is all about Jesus. It's nothing to do with me. It's all about him. And so we give him the glory now and we give it all back to him. And remember, our lives are his lives. And when we discover that, he gives us the most incredible life back. God bless us all as we work this one out.